Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, you may have heard it. Dr. Stephen R. Covey died today, a big name in business, a big name in human development. One of the top, most influential business thinkers, they say, will be having stories about Stephen Covey and some personal feelings about an icon's passing right here next on The Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. President Obama's campaign has been hitting Mitt Romney hard with Bain Capital attacks. But now Romney is fighting back, saying that the president should focus on his own record. Romney says the president's time would be better spent talking about his own accomplishments. What does it say about a president? whose record is so poor that all he can do in his campaign is attack me. In an interview on Fox and Friends and courtesy of Fox News Channel, Romney says he's proud of his business record and setting a tone for the rest of the campaign says he won't back off if the attacks continue. I think when people accuse you of a crime, you have every reason to go after them pretty hard and I'm going to continue going after him. Sagar Megani, Washington. London Olympic organizers are receiving praise for solving a worrying lack of security forces. The IOC president has praised Olympics organizers for acting quickly in bringing in thousands of extra troops to guard the London Games and says the heavy security presence will definitely not spoil the fun. With the opening ceremony 11 days away, Roger says organizers have displayed a good show of flexibility to deal with a failure by private security firm G4S to recruit enough personnel to protect venues, a major embarrassment for the host country. Roger told the AP that the extra input of soldiers is something that gives us tranquility. Charles de Desma, London. With security issues resolved, attention in London is now on the thousands of tourists and athletes pouring into the city. Heathrow officials say athletes from 50 nations are arriving in what's being described as Britain's biggest peacetime transport challenge, with nearly 240,000 passengers expected to pass through the airport. Rows of Olympic VIP buses are waiting to whisk teams and coaches to the athletes' village, and extra baggage teams are dealing with oversized items such as javelins and bikes. 1,000 extra workers are meeting and greeting athletes, officials and the media, hoping to put a bright face on the game. Games. Charles Duladesma, London. Microsoft has decided to drop its stake in MSNBC. AP Radio's Bryant Thomas explains why. Microsoft is ending its joint venture with MSNBC so it can build its own online news service. The breakup dissolves the final chunk of the 16-year marriage between Microsoft and NBC News. The relationship began to unravel in 2005 when Microsoft sold its stake in MSNBC's cable TV channel to NBC. NBC is now buying Microsoft's 50% interest in MSNBC's website and will rebrand as NBCNews.com. And it will also allow Microsoft's new website to move away from the more liberal news approach of MSNBC. I'm Brian Thomas. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this show every single day to help you and your loved ones grow healthy, happy relationships. Healthy lives is the goal of the show. And really, it's not it's not an easy task to kind of try to piece a healthy life together when you think about all the things that are 
that are slowly wearing you down, taking away your focus, and uh, and exhausting you from the things that matter most to you. So today, uh, interesting little uh, change. We had another entirely another show planned for you. And then, tragically, the loss of a of an iconic leader in the world of um, kind of self-help, human development, Dr. Stephen Covey, uh, who is the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and, and, and a mentor for me in a way, um, has passed away. And I we just wanted today to just pay respect, pay homage to him, really, and some of the great teachings. So on today's show, we're going to get into... Stephen Covey, his life, some of the stories about his life. We're also going to start to slowly take apart some of the, his great teachings that I think are fundamental, foundational, and uh, give you some stories about how he changed my life. And I had a chance to work for the Covey Leadership Center years ago, which was eventually merged with a company, another company that was Franklin Quest, creating a company called Franklin Covey which is a kind of a time management, life leadership organization. Thousands of trainers out there, and um, Stephen Covey was at the helm of that company for years. Just an, in, an inspirational person. And so if you haven't heard, it, it, Stephen Covey, uh, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, as well as a bunch of other books we'll get into, passed away at 79 years old. He uh, he died at the regional Idaho Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center in Idaho Falls from some residual effects of a bicycle accident that happened in April. In April, he was out riding his bike and fell, apparently hit his head and had um, a pretty serious kind of head injury. He had he was doing pretty well, went uh, up to Montana to be with his family in a kind of a family retreat. And while he was up there, he began to decline and then was rushed to Idaho Falls, which was the closest hospital where he passed away. Now, from the Salt Lake Tribune, his son, Sean Covey, also an author, um, he, he says, Our family, all nine kids, and our spouses and my mom were able to gather together again to be with him for the last few hours of his life, which is what he always wanted. That was what Sean Covey said in an email. In a statement, the family said, We extend our heartfelt gratitude for all the love and prayers that have been showered upon Stephen and our family from all around the globe over the past several months. Now, Stephen Covey, uh, just an incredible human being. Um, when, when you think about it, he, he wrote the book, The Seven Habits, but it sold more than 20 million copies in 38 languages. He became a time management guru for companies and government agencies. He was named Time Magazine's top 25 most influential Americans in 1996. And um, again, the, the, the book, The Seven Habits, made several lists and was a New York Times bestseller for literally years, 15 plus years, I'm sure. In 2011, Covey was ranked 47th in the Thinkers um, 50, which is a list of the world's top 50 business thinkers. So, you know, a man whose life has made a difference. And I, at this young age, about 23 years old, had a chance to um, read the Seven Habits book and fell in love with it, thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, if life could just be as simple as seven habits, I thought, oh, that would be, that's it. You know, it's just, those are, those are the basic principles. Fell in love with it, wrote in, had them, they used to send out a little packet so you could start organizing your life and get working on the habits and building a plan and all of these things. I actually did it. Eventually wanted to get into it so badly that I went and applied for a job there and 
they put a headset on my head and I started telemarketing for Covey Leadership oh so many years ago. Worst job of my life, by the way, just because I wasn't a telemarketer. <laughs> but um, the cool thing was for me is I was close to the content. And honestly, it has changed me and it's helped me become something I really wanted to be. Interestingly, you may have remembered on a show a few uh, a week ago, we were talking about how I just recently finished uh, and completed a doctorate in human development. That doctorate I can directly attribute to Dr. Stephen Covey. Because um, I kind of thought as a young kid working at Franklin Covey or Covey Leadership Center at the time, you know what? I want to be like Stephen. What would it take? And I worked my way slowly up the ladder, got into a place where I could actually work with Stephen um, on some books and, and worked with him on the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families book, worked with his son, Sean, on the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, and then was actually working with him on other content around marriage and other content around um, a business book that we actually ended up not publishing, um, but just an incredible man. And the neatest thing I think about him is he was everything he purported to be. He wasn't there to entertain you. If you ever saw him speak, he wasn't the most dynamic, outgoing, crazy speaker in the world. He was there to be everything he claimed to be, which was this concept of character. Now, again, nobody's perfect, right? But... um, but I, I've sat there. I've sat there in his office. I've sat there when we were talking about uh, you know book ideas or book projects and where it may have been better marketing to do it another way. I've seen him choose to not just go with the best marketing approach. I've seen him choose to go maybe with the best principle-centered approach. And uh, we're going to get into this. Through the whole show, we're going to get into some of his content that's, I think, made a huge difference. And maybe more importantly, just some of the basic principles – that uh, that are so core to Stephen Covey's life, his legacy, and just really, I think, who the man is. Uh, just some uh, national leaders that are speaking out today: Senator Orrin Hatch, uh, which is the state, the the senator for the state of Utah. Um, Senator Orrin Hatch said, Utah lost a great leader today. His innovative thinking and common sense approach to business, success, and life has been taught to hundreds of thousands of people across the country and around the world and will be followed for generations. He deeply cared about others, his family, and our country, and will be missed by many. Elaine and I send our sympathies to his family and to those who have been touched by this great man. Um, Powerful. Another one that is kind of a, a must-read is, is Senator Mike Lee, another senator from Utah. Today, our thoughts and prayers are with the family and friends of Stephen Covey, who passed away this morning at the age of 79 in Idaho Falls. He was loved and respected by many and will most certainly be missed. He was an inspiration to millions, a revolutionary problem solver, and an icon for business managers everywhere. It is impossible to calculate the immense amount of good that Stephen Covey did for so many people. His insight helped to shape the future of an untold number of businesses, resulting in better jobs and indeed better lives for the people around the world. So again, paying tribute to a wonderful man. One of the things I love most about uh, Stephen, and it's interesting at this time of his passing, Uh, I can't tell you, honestly, how many times I heard him teach the concept of uh, envisioning how you want people to remember you. And now as we sit here remembering Stephen Covey, what could be more fitting than people saying he taught principles, he made a difference, um, 
he was honest, he had integrity, he had character. Because literally as a trainer that went around and four and literally taught seven habits of highly effective people, taught it for years to thousands, literally, of people and tens of thousands of people I personally taught it to. And in every one of those classes, we would teach people to start to envision what you want people to say at your funeral. What do you want people to say about you at the end of your life? And let's start to create a mission and a path and a plan to actually make that happen. And now here we sit as we are literally reading the obituary of Dr. Stephen Covey, as well as just the great things people are saying about him. And you know what? His life has become what he hoped it would. Now, again, I don't know him so well that I can talk like he's my best friend, but he's a guy that influenced a young 23-year-old guy who's now out trying to influence others. And so, Uh, Again, this show is dedicated to Stephen Covey, to his life and his legacy. We're going to be getting into his content. We're going to go over some parts of the seven habits of highly effective people, some of the great lessons, the stories I've heard told about him, and we're going to start to just create, I hope, a tribute. And maybe a hope for each of us that at any age we can sit there and say, this is what I want to become And this is what I want people to say about me. And you know what? If we work it and if we show the character to live it, you know what? It's going to happen for each of us. Again, Dr. Stephen R. Covey passed away um, at 79 years old, a legend. And we will be back after this break where we're going to get into the stories, the ideas, his life right here on The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. Shooting down space debris with nothing but air. Next. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Orbital debris can be dangerous to manned and unmanned spacecraft. Even a tiny fleck of paint at orbital speeds can have the impact of a bullet. Scientists are looking for methods to deorbit this space trash without creating new collisions. Most of those ideas revolve around physical contact with the debris, which could be tricky. But the NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts Program, which supports revolutionary new ideas, is exploring a novel approach that's more hands-off. The University of Michigan and Raytheon Corporation call it SPADE, Space Debris Elimination System. A spade interceptor would shoot a concentrated ball of gases in front of orbital debris. The drag from the gas could act to safely slow the debris down as it passes through, hastening the time when gravity pulls it down to a blazing reentry. The gases then dissipate harmlessly without disrupting any working spacecraft in orbit. When the current research is complete, a decision will be made about moving ahead to actual test hardware. Then we'll see if Spade can blow away the space junk without generating any more debris in the process. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. An artist's passion for music is born when the desire to create beauty is planted within them. Witness the stories behind the passion and performances on The Song That Changed My Life, Mondays at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU-TV. Start your day right with Marcus Smith and the BYU Radio Morning Show. You've touched a nerve in my family because I think T-Ball is solely responsible for the fact that my children will never be great athletes. 
lifestyle news, current events, science and technology, and just plain fun. <laughs> I want you to answer my question. <laughs> You'll be feeling good all day long when you start your day with Marcus Smith and The Morning Show. Monday through Friday mornings at 9 Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. And today we are paying tribute to Dr. Stephen Covey, uh, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, who just passed away recently, a father of nine children, which in and of itself is probably one of his greatest accomplishments, is having nine, keeping nine, not killing any of them. And great kids, wonderful family, very, very close family. One of the things I, I think I respected most about Stephen is it's easy in that kind of a world uh, that he was that he was a part of to get kind of caught up in the whole image of it, the whole the whole personality of it, where you're this guru, everyone knows you're the guru, and um, some of the stories that you hear about and you would hear Stephen tell. There was one that uh, whenever we were with him. Um, kind of in a larger group, and he was asking questions. Who has any questions? Somebody would always ask about the peanut butter story and if it was true. Is it true that you would that your kids would get to put peanut butter on your bald head? And the basic story goes like this. So it was a busy business professional. He was a professor. He was a teacher, actually, at Brigham Young University. So it ties it back to BYU Radio, right? And as a professor, he'd teach human development. He'd teach all of these powerful uh, skills and his students loved his stuff and he was just very well loved and um, but then he became a, a business consultant would get out and all of a sudden he started getting a lot of notoriety as a business consultant people would make a big deal about who he was and um, so he got a phone call and this was back in the days before cell phones so you'd take your phone you take your calls wherever you could get them and uh, somebody he had given his business a business call his home phone number because I guess they were about ready to close this really big deal. Well, he had sat down with his family once, and this is how empowering he was. He let his children basically decide, what are the rules about family dinner? And the children said, at family dinner, Dad, everyone has to be their dad, including you, Dad, and you can't be on the phone, Dad. And um, they they let the kids make the rule that if anybody is on the phone or has to leave dinner for a phone call, that the kids could do anything they wanted. They were basically talking to Stephen. They could do anything they wanted to Stephen. And um, eventually what happened is in the middle of this call, he's talking to a big corporate executive somewhere, probably about to land a really big business deal. And he's talking on the phone, and the children got up from the dinner table and went and grabbed a jar of peanut butter. And as Stephen's sitting there, and this was back in the day where you couldn't go far from your phone. You could only go as far as the cord would stretch. So Stephen's sitting there on the phone, and he let his children come up in the middle of this phone call and start putting peanut butter on his bald head. And then they put jam on his bald head, and then they put bread on top of that. And it was a Stephen Covey peanut butter and jelly sandwich head. Which um, goes down in in history with the family as you know what if Dad sets a rule and or if we set the rule, Dad will let us have it. Now he could have been mad and he probably was. He could have you know got off the phone I guess, but you lose the deal. So he took it. He took his 
he took his um, his beating, his licking, and he just kept going. He's he really was an excellent uh, family man. Some of the stories I hear about him as a father. Uh, just stuff I heard. I, I heard stories all the time when I was working there about how Stephen would go to the movies with his family. And again, he wasn't somebody that really got caught up in all the pretense of who he was. But he, I heard stories even from his boys about how when they'd go to a movie theater, he wasn't he wasn't always really into the movie. But and, and his back would hurt. He had a bad back, and so he'd try to lie down, and he just wanted to rest. And so in a movie theater, he just would get out of his seat, lie down on the movie floor of the movie theater, those sticky, gross floors, and would take a little nap or would just rest and stretch his back out. People would look at him like, is that Stephen Covey on the ground there? And um, he didn't care. He'd stand up at the end of it. He'd have popcorn stuck to his head. He didn't care. But he wanted to be there with his kids. His back hurt. Just really uh, a powerfully... um, motivating soul. Not necessarily perfect, right? Again, and I want to bring that up because as we get into talking about a guy that's like a guru like this, we we try to deify him and make him more than perfect. They're not. He He would be the first to admit he fails. He's not perfect at everything he did. And, um, but there were just so many stories. And a lot of these stories are in the book, Seven Habits, but read it. If you haven't read it, it is one that you, you just flat out need to read. And, and I really would suggest, too, that in the heart of it all, um, maybe the biggest key to it is we don't need to hold someone up as this perfect thing. But the neat thing that I think that Stephen did that set himself apart from the world is he didn't want to just teach a technique. In fact, he was, he was very consistently against teaching a quick practice. Now, what I mean by that is he wanted to teach the principle. He believes behind all effectiveness, there was a universal truth, a concept, something that was universal, that was timeless. And if you could teach somebody the principle, you could probably have a way to eventually create the practices. Out of all practices, you can find the principle. So what is the principle of time management? Well, one principle of time management is, I guess, you need a planner. So they sold a lot of planners. But you can also use time ma- you could also use a a palm pilot back in the day, another form of of, a, of technology. Or what Stephen used a lot wasn't it was just basically a piece of paper. You know, when you have a bunch of assistants and secretaries at the time and and people that were in charge of keeping you on track, you may not have needed to carry around a planner. So what Stephen did a lot of times is he just carried around what he called a compass. And a compass was something that he would just identify his five most important roles or his seven most important roles. He would write down he's a father, he's a husband, he's a son, he's a a son of God. And he'd write down these important roles in his life. And he'd put these on just a piece of paper, just a little card, actually. And then what he would do is he'd ask himself this really interesting question. What's the most important thing I can do as a husband today to have the greatest impact? What's the most important thing I could do as a father today to have the greatest impact? What's the most important thing I can do today as a son of God to have the greatest impact? What's the most important thing I could do today for my body, for my health, to have the greatest impact? And then he would just set a goal. 
So his goal, one of his one of his practices then was to just use a compass. You could use a planner. You could use anything you wanted. But the principle behind it was focusing on important, not just urgent. And he taught that in his second book, First Things First, or one of his, it's probably his fifth book or so. So anyway, what I loved about him was that he, he drove everything back to a principle. A principle was a universal truth, a concept that could go anywhere. It was just as applicable in Uganda without a time management planner as it would have been in you know New York City if you had had a time management planner. And he tried to get it down to the principle, and then out of the principles would flow the practices you need to use. A powerful thing. He wrote a book called Principle-Centered Leadership, which, which basically taught the most powerful, fundamental way to gain power and leadership as a human being is to live principles. And so one of my great memories of Stephen Covey is the fact that even I sat in meetings with him where we tried to push practices. A lot of times it's easier to make money on a practice, you know what I mean, like a diet is a practice, but the principle behind a diet might be discipline. The principle behind the diet might be creativity. Sometimes the best diets are disciplined and creative and um, instead of just having this one way to do the diet. But I remember in certain book meetings with Stephen, we would sit there and try to push on, look, if we had a few more practices, we could sell the practice. And he would just kind of look at us and smile and say, let's just stick to the principles. Let's just keep the principles clean and then, you know, let people kind of govern themselves from those principles. Powerful, powerful insight from a, a guy, again, not perfect. And I think he would want that very clear. He's not, he never tried to just sit here and be this perfect guy. He just wanted to be principled. And um, again, I can't tell you story after story about the power of Stephen. One of my favorite stories about him and there's just, you know, with a guy like Stephen, there's a lot of stories told and you don't even know exactly the root, what's the real story. And so I won't give too many details on this one, but there was a very powerful person in the United States back in the day when um, I was working around him that needed and wanted to meet with Stephen. And um, Stephen, so he called Stephen and, and the guy was going through some troubles and needed Stephen. And Stephen wanted to help. He wanted to be there, to, and he wanted to oblige this person, except Stephen had already made a commitment to watch one of his son's sporting events. He wanted to see his son play football, and he had promised to be there at this game, this really important game. So, um, But, you know, this really important man had called this other this man, by the way, had also called some other speakers, some big gurus, well-named people that uh, really knew how important it was to show up as soon as you could for this meeting with this man because he was so powerful it would get out in the press and you'd get all of this great publicity. Well, Stephen had already made a promise to his son. So he actually told this very powerful man, I'm not going to be able to make it when you want me to make it there because I've already made a commitment to see my son's game. So I'm sorry, but I'm going to watch his game. I'm going to come later than everyone else. I'm going to get on a red-eye flight and I'll come back later. And I'll be, so I'll be there earlier tomorrow morning, but it, everyone else was going the night before. He literally told one of the most powerful men in the country, maybe on the earth at the time, um, he can't make it because he truly felt committed to something he had already made a decision on when he was focusing on the important things. And you know what? Sometimes, so what I learned from there is Stephen Covey lives the principle of character. He's able to say no to people 
when he knows what his yeses are. And he was a man, not perfect, but knew what his yeses were. And his yes was his son. It was it was a core thing. His yes were his children when he allowed them to spread peanut butter all over his head. Um, his yes was the fact that principles should be the foundation of our lives, not just a bunch of practices, not just a bunch of quick ideas. So Stephen Covey, we're paying tribute to him, again, passed away um, at the age of 79 years old. To me, it's just so, it's so fitting, quite honestly, that at 79, he's out riding his bike and, um, and had a, had a bicycle accident. What was fitting is that at 79, he's out working out. He's still making sure he's taking care of himself. And when we come back from this break, we're going to get into more ideas, more concepts taught by Stephen Covey, more stories, paying tribute to, a, to an expert and a leader, uh, a leader of us all, Dr. Stephen R. Covey. We'll be back with more right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. For regular updates on BYU Radio programming, sports, and other behind-the-scenes news, follow BYU Radio on Twitter. Just search for BYU Radio, hit follow, and enjoy our tweets on news, live updates on shows, and much more. Talk about good. the 2012-2013 season, BYU Radio is your home for Cougar sports. Don't miss BYU football. Touchdown! Cougars take the lead! Men's basketball. Davies to the middle, and the right hand stop! Women's basketball. Brigham Young University Cougars are the West Coast Conference champions. Baseball. A walk-off grand slam, and BYU wins it! And more. All the major sports, all season long. Only on your home for Cougar Sports, Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. An Air Force officer is facing court-martial today after being accused of sexually assaulting trainees at Lachlan Air Force Base. Staff Sergeant Lewis Walker faces 28 counts, including rape, aggravated sexual assault, and aggravated sexual contact during his time as a trainer at Lackland Air Force Base in Texas. Military prosecutors say 10 women will be testifying against Walker. Walker's court-martial is considered the cornerstone case in an ongoing investigation that includes a dozen instructors and 31 female trainees. I'm Tim McGuire. A U.S. naval ship has fired on and destroyed a small craft near the Persian Gulf, killing one and wounding three others. The Navy says a security team aboard the USNS Rappahannock opened fire after the small boat ignored a series of warnings to turn away. An American consular official in Dubai says one person aboard the boat was killed and three others injured. The official says the boat could have been mistaken as a threat in Gulf waters not far from Iran's maritime boundaries. Iran's Revolutionary Guard also uses small high-speed boats, which have passed close to Navy vessels in the past. Sagar Megani at the Pentagon. The family of Joe Paterno is responding to the latest reports that pin much of the blame for Jerry Sandusky's child sex abuse scandal on the late coach. 
Now that it's had time to digest the Louis Free report of the Penn State scandal, Joe Paterno's family has released a statement saying it vehemently disagrees with the conclusions. The family denies the finding that the late football coach was one of four high-ranking university officials who covered up the child sex abuse allegations against former assistant Jerry Sandusky. The report says Paterno and the others did that to avoid bad publicity. Family lawyers are reviewing the report by the former FBI director, and the Paterno say the document is absolutely not the last word on the case. I'm John Belmont. With higher education costs continuing to rise, more families are finding ways to send their kids to college for less. They're choosing less expensive schools and finding more economical ways for their kids to go to college. More students also are living at home. All this from an annual study by Sally May, America's biggest student lender. It says the average amount spent on college by families dropped by 5% this past school year. More parents and students alike say they make their higher education decisions based on the cost they can afford to pay than in the past. Matt Small, Washington. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend. Today, we're paying tribute to a legend. In the human development world, Dr. Stephen Covey, author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, author of, author of the book First Things First, of Principle-Centered Leadership, of The Eighth Habit, um, From Effectiveness to Greatness, and The Leader in Me, How Schools and Parents Around the World Are Inspiring Greatness One Child at a Time. He's done it all, uh, passed away at the age of 79. And it's interesting just to see the tributes that are coming in on this wonderful man. Um, There's one that I just have to go over and read with you. Dr. Stephen Covey, so, you know, a noted speaker would go out, travel around the country, speak to huge groups, you know, demand huge speaking fees, and, and mainly, most of all, just wanted to share some of these principles, these concepts that he believed were self-evident. He believes they were everywhere. You would see him in every generation. You can see these same principles. But there, he, he spoke a lot with a man named Tom Peters. If you haven't heard of him, Tom Peters is a business kind of guru, very much like Stephen. They shared the platform quite a bit. Uh, Stephen was kind of much more into the softer skills, uh, and, and Tom Peters was kind of more of a little hard-nosed guy. But this is um, in the Washington Post. Tom Peters put together a tribute to Stephen Covey from one leadership sage to another. This is some of the things he said. One simply cannot pay tribute to Stephen Covey without saying at the outset that he was a lovely human being. Stephen and I both have uh, been figures in the world of business thinking or or some such. And in the world, uh, the response to his death seems rather parallel to Tim Russert's. Remember the news guy, Tim Russert, all in the news industry agreed that Mr. Russert was a remarkable journalist whose body of work had been highly influential. But the heart of the matter was that Tim Russert, the person, that was really the key. Every tribute oozed warmth for an extraordinary human being. Professionally, Tom Peters talks about, he says, the term humanist could have been invented to encapsulate Stephen's work. Tom says he was a man of the world— And though, in my view, was an optimist, 
He was hardly naive. He knew humanity's darker side. Nelson Mandela was the one that Tom Peters compared um, Stephen Covey to. But really, when it comes down to it, um, this is basically what he said. Tom Peters said, said, I just liked being around Stephen Covey. Tom Peters says, I'm a pessimist by nature. Some find that difficult to believe. And a little dose of Covey from time to time would boost my spirits enormously and strengthen my commitment to one or another um, quixotic pursuits. Through, uh, though we were hardly bosom buddies, I would occasionally get an absurdly generous note from Stephen recognizing this or that that I had done. I often joked with him with the passage of time, I was ripping him off more and more. That is, I increasingly underscored essential principles that he had articulated clearly and to which I had often given short shrift. In short, Tom Peters says, I will miss Stephen. He stirred my better angels as he did for millions of others in truly every corner of the world. So that's Tom Peters uh, in the Washington Post. Again, wonderful man, Stephen Covey. And there's just so many stories. I can't even begin to tell you all of them, the ones that have meant something to me. I know his boys, his children. I never knew his daughter's um, nine children. But I saw the character and the quality of his sons, and they were incredible. And they really reflected their mother and their father. He loved his wife. He was a devoted husband. The stories about he and his wife— are just funny, um, and and he cared, and you could tell he cared. Another interesting story that I heard about, and again, might be folklorish, but I'm pretty confident this is absolutely true. Stephen Covey, and a lot of people may not know this, was good friends with um, Oprah Winfrey, and he appeared on her show regularly. And at a time in Oprah's show when it started getting a little— Back in the day, it was easier. I guess it still is. There was a lot of talk shows on like Oprah's, and there were some people that were getting really good ratings by being seedier. They were being not so principled. And Oprah and Stephen were talking, and we're talking about Oprah's, you know, for the ratings' sake, it might need that we need to start turning this and being more, bringing in more of the uh, ugly side of the world. And Stephen just kind of tried to reassure her about the importance of just staying with your principles. Focus on what's good. Focus on your principles. He really, really um, kind of coached her that way. And I and I don't I haven't heard what she has said about his passing, but I do know they were good friends. I know at one time, uh, Oprah and uh, her boyfriend Stedman had actually made it um, here in the mountains of Utah to Sundance to come visit Stephen and his wife and stay in their cabin. And one of the things I was told by people in the know is that on the night when they were introducing where they, everyone would be sleeping, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Mrs. Covey with Stephen's probably smile, told Oprah that she needed to sleep in one bedroom down one hall and told Stedman that he would need to sleep in another bedroom down another hall because <laughs> no one's going to be breaking principles in our house, <laughs> basically. So powerful couple, powerful man, um, very well connected. The neat thing about Stephen is you would never know how truly powerful he was because he never exploited it to the degree that he probably could have. He had every opportunity to exploit um, a lot of very private conversations, a lot of very private relationships that he was having with people that were confiding in him. And I know that he held many of those quiet, even though it would have been to his advantage professionally when others that had similar situations 
you know, exploited it. He just he wanted to honor um, the people and and the quiet stuff that was sneaking in around him. So Stephen Covey, again, uh, one of my favorite men, and he taught a principle that for me just seemed to matter. For example, um, one of my favorite quotes, and people ask me for this quote all the time because I use it out in the world. I attribute it to him. But he basically says this, it's not the snake that bites you that drives the venom to the heart. It's chasing, it's not the snake that bites you that kills you, sorry. It's chasing the snake that drives the venom to the heart. It's chasing the things that bother you. It's chasing the things that are, um, that are, that are so hard. It's chasing the people that hurt you and not letting it out of your system that eventually will kill you. And so uh, we have a clip that we want to run that um, is of, of Stephen Covey speaking to university graduates uh, back in 2008. Let's see if we can roll that clip now. How many have ever worked on a farm? Ever cram on the farm? You know, forget the plant in the spring, flake off all summer, then hit it real hard in the fall to bring in the harvest. You see, the law of the harvest is a natural law. It is what we might call a principle. True north. I would encourage you to make your mind up at the beginning of this school year to cultivate a steady habit of consistent study and avoid the tendency to cram. That tendency may be deeply embedded in you because of past cramming, but you will end up regretting it, as I did. I not only crammed in some of my high school, but throughout my entire college, and I ended up regretting it. So when I worked on my doctoral program, I made an effort to get the equivalent of another undergraduate degree. Because I realized I had cultivated a habit and it was hollow and empty, like cramming on a farm. You ever tried to cram in the building of a strong relationship of high trust? You can't do it. If you're duplicitous or hypocritical, if you make commitments and don't keep them, if you're unkind, if you badmouth people behind their back, people will know that you are not principle-centered. And you will find that little by little you will lose trust. You will lose the essence of true leadership, which is moral authority. Gandhi was the father of the largest democracy in the world and never held a position. Leadership is not formal authority. It is moral authority. It comes from deep integrity combined with competence. 
I had a great personal visit with Nelson Mandela just a short while ago. He was the first president of the new South Africa. He earned his moral authority in prison, Robben Island prison, over a period of 26 years. Colin Powell, who was the Secretary of State at one time, said that one of the most electrifying and inspiring experiences of his entire life was to go to Nelson Mandela's inauguration. He comes down the front aisle. There on the left-hand side, on the front row, are his loved ones. On the right-hand side were his jaders, called warders, many of whom had tortured him. I asked him, how long did it take to learn to make reconciliation and to forgive those people? He said, about four years. Why? I saw how they talked to each other. I came to realize that they had some goodness in them and that they too were victims of this apartheid system. So that's why he appointed Bishop Tutu, the chairman of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, to bring together the victims and the victimizers so that they could process their experiences and learn to forgive and to make reconciliation. President de Klerk, who was the president of the country of South Africa, also had deep conscience problems about apartheid. Even though his party, under the leadership of Botha, continued to maintain the apartheid system. But it was a conscience issue to him. And he opened up the way for Nelson Mandela and other political prisoners to become free and to become open to the process of the political process. And eventually Nelson Mandela became the new president of the new South Africa. If you don't build your life on principles, on character principles that are universal and timeless, you'll get your sense of self from being compared to other people. And that is the great identity theft. It's not when someone takes your wallet and uses your social security number and your credit cards. The true deep identity theft is the cultural DNA where you begin to define yourself based on how you stack up to other people. Dr. Stephen Covey, teaching us about moral authority, our identity, where it should really come from are these lasting eternal principles, not just from what people say about us, our titles, and uh, all the things that come from the outside. Great lessons from a wonderful man. Um, We will have more on Stephen Covey, and his principles right here on the Matt Townsend Show after this break on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Technology used to find underwater cable damage could be modified to usher in a new generation of touch-sensitive products. 
This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Today, the gestures and taps we use to interact with our smartphones and touchscreen tablets doesn't seem nearly as peculiar as it would have looked just a few years ago. Now, a new type of touch technology, developed by researchers at the University of Munich and the Hasso Plattner Institute, could lead to touch-sensitive features incorporated in everyday items, such as coffee tables, clothing, headphone wires, even pieces of paper. The promising technology relies on something called Time Domain Reflectometry, or TDR. TDR measures the timing of an electric pulse to do things like detect damage in underwater cables or find wiring problems in aircraft avionics. The use of TDR isn't new, but the ability to sense a short time delay over remarkably short distances has gotten much more accurate in recent years. Researchers want to test ways to shrink a TDR system design into a chip. In contrast to the matrix of wires that give current smartphones their touchscreen capabilities, the technology could be a relatively simple way to add interactive touch features to just about anything you use around the home or office. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. What song changed my life? There are a lot of songs that have changed my life. It's a totally brutal question to try and answer. Every musician has that one song that changed their life. Join Tony Award winner Lea Solanga, American Idol finalist Brooke White, and more of your favorite artists as they explore their lives before and after they heard that one song that changed everything. Watch The Song That Changed My Life, Monday nights at 7.30 on BYU TV. <sighs> Parenting can be a tricky business, and we all know families don't come with a handbook. That's why we can learn from world-traveling family coaches, the Ayers. Join the Ayers on the road for family, parenting, and general life advice Monday through Thursday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, today we are just celebrating the life of Dr. Stephen R. Covey, uh, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And again, I, I really wouldn't probably do this just at the passing of anybody. But for me, um, he he changed my life, quite honestly. Um, he He showed me that there's this whole other realm, this world, and, and it's quite – Quite seriously, it it's helped me become a better speaker. Again, if you notice, as you were just listening to him there, he's not there to impress you. One of his one of his most popular things to talk about is this concept that what he called personality ethic versus character ethic. And part of his doctoral studies, he he studied wisdom literature, you know, the literature of all the the great writers, and he he kind of evaluated what they wrote about, and he talked about what they wrote about was the importance of having character. Instead of just having personality, it's not enough to just have a lot of charisma, be able to communicate in a way that you get everybody to buy in. You have to also have the foundations of character. So in his content, you'd hear him bring up, like he did there, Gandhi and Nelson Mandela and Mother Teresa, and you'd hear him bring up Viktor Frankl and all of these people that he he really held up as somebody – as the people that had the character ethic – 
They were driven by the fact that they understood that character, your principles, and living up to your principles really is the key to your success, not just your personality, which he kind of attributed to other things like your hair, your body, your looks, your image, all of these outside things. So he, one of the big things he focused on then is you change yourself, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. You don't try to change yourself by just getting a new degree, a new um, set of clothes, a new haircut. You change yourself from getting principles and from getting connected to what you're offering the world and what matters most to you. And he said, and he taught the great principles of the inside out versus the outside in. And that was a core thing that he's learned through all of this wisdom literature. Another thing that he was so noted for is this concept of private victory before public victory. You have to be solid as a private person before you can ever try to get um, a public victory. And what he talked about in our world is we're so caught up on giving somebody fame and fortune. A lot of times you might see it with all these young stars who probably have had way too much fame than um, and they, they don't have the private victory. They don't have the inside, internal, foundational platform to grow from. And without the private victory, you will not be able to, to sustain your public victory. I can't tell you how many times I saw him standing on a stage um, talking about push-ups. Can you give me 50 push-ups right now? Because if you can't drop right now and give me 50 push-ups, you can't fake it. You're not going to fake through 50. You can either do it or you can't do it. And it's all going to be dependent on the fact, have you had a private victory? Meaning, have you in your room or wherever at the gym for the last five months been doing push-ups? Because if you haven't, right now in this this very public moment, it's all going to hit the fan for you. Everyone's going to know. So think about Stephen's life. Think about the power of setting forth this idea that um, that's why he got into the law of the harvest and all this. This setting forth this idea of who you want to be. Years ago, he decided that he wanted to be somebody who could help improve the world. He felt strongly that principles could do that. He started doing it as a professor. He did it as a father. He wrote books about it, and he happened to hit this great public victory. But more importantly is privately, he lived what he believed in. He walked the talk, and day by day, he made it happen. And so um, it's it really is to me – it's just a tribute to Stephen. Uh, it's it's a tribute that we all are great humans. We have potential. There's not just a bunch of things that we have to do, these little techniques and tricks. Maybe more importantly, we've got to ask ourselves, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? What do you want people to say about you on your deathbed? I've heard him say that. What do you want people to say about you at your 80th birthday? And it's just so ironic now, at his near 80th birthday, we're talking about a guy who just put his heart into it and he put it together and um, and he made it happen. So just a powerful, powerful example for me. I personally, uh, having sat with him and seen him, I, I also have a pretty good insight as to where he thought the principles came from, that he thought the principles came from a higher being he was a very spiritual man. He had a um, uh, a Christus, a marble um, statue of Christ that would sit on his table behind him. And as you'd sit in the office and he's talking to you about principles, over his shoulder you'd see this Christus. 
and just the the message was fairly clear. I sat in meetings with him for the first time in my public uh, my world as a you know working in corporate America, and I'd have a, a corporate leader ask if he could say a prayer before we began, and it was actually just startling because I'm sitting in a corporate meeting with Stephen Covey and. Um, it was more about his books, so it was kind of a personal thing for him. But he and his team around him and myself, we would pray. And so to me, again, not perfect, but I don't think we need perfect in this world. I think we just need more examples like Stephen Covey. And he will be missed. And he doesn't have to be missed, I think, if each of us take away some learnings. So as we wrap up the show today, can I just challenge you? to just figure out what do you want your kids to say about you when you're 80? What do you want your grandkids to say? What do you want your wife to be able to say about you? Who, do you, who are you really? And let's start now trying to identify who that's going to be. Let's start to figure out now what we want our future to lo- look like. And one of the, another quote he used all the time is, when you live out of the past, you are bound to that which is finite, When you live out of the future, you're bound to that which is infinite. Your future, my friends, has infinite potential. Your past is finite. Quit living out of your past. Let it go. Get over yourself and start focusing on your future. Start leading your life to this end that you want it to be. And if you're going to lead it onto something, lead it with principles. What are the principles that you want to be remembered for? What are the universal truths? Do you want your people to say, oh, he was just a really great tennis player? Or do you have something deeper you want him to say, like, you know what? That guy was just consistently there. He was disciplined. He had integrity. He knew when to he, – he, the seven habits were basically is be proactive, uh, begin with the end in mind, put first things first, think win-win, seek first to understand, then to be understood, synergize, and sharpen the saw. Seven habits, okay? All foundational principles – along with focusing on character, on inside out, on private victory. Dr. Stephen Covey, not just he's passed, but the principles are eternal. And those principles, I think he would very easily say they weren't his. Those principles belong to this deeper, deeper, more spiritual, essential being. He calls it God, um, and he thinks it's, it's, it's guiding us all. So special tribute to him. Thanks for listening. Thanks for helping us as we uh, go through um, remembering a wonderful icon and man. And take it into your lives now, okay? Go and make it happen. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow with more great ideas and tools to help you take your life to the next level. Thanks, everybody. This is The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. The following is a production of BYU Broadcasting in cooperation with the Brigham Young University Division of Continuing Education. Our fundamental American narrative for World War II in the European theaters goes something like this. The Germans were perpetrators of horrors. The victims of those horrors